And we are going to turn this evening to Leviticus chapter 19, verses 26 through 28. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 26 through 28, and it goes as follows. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. We have been going through Leviticus 19 and what we have been seeing so far are God's instructions for his people as to how they live out this matter of being a holy people unto the Lord. God lays down certain prescriptions for them, guidelines they were to follow, and as we said, not to make them holy, but to reflect their holiness as the people of God. This, of course, began from chapter 18, where God went into the whole matter of how his people ought to live in terms of their sexual practices. And then chapter 19, we have been going through, we won't take time out to cover or rehearse what we have already covered, but we pick up in these verses this evening and we see in these verses that Israel's holiness was to be expressed in their abstention from pagan practices. This is a recurrent theme in the Pentateuch. We see it, we've been seeing it in the book of Deuteronomy. It's here in the book of Leviticus. And first, there's a prohibition against eating flesh with the blood undrained. Verse 26a, this prohibition we encountered, we, we, we see in chapter 3, verse 17, chapter 7, verse 27, that is of the book of Leviticus. It is there in chapter 7, verses 26, 27, chapter 17, verses 10 through 14, but in those instances, the instruction was given largely against the backdrop of when they offered sacrifices, the instruction was they were not to eat the blood. They were to drain the blood from the animal. But based on the context of verses 26b and 31 of this passage, it appears that the reference to eating blood here in verse 26 was associated with the Canaanite pagan practice of fortune telling. So what we are going to see here is God warning his people against becoming involved in the practice of fortune telling. We could put this largely under the occult. They were prohibited from engaging in the occult. In this regard, some Bible scholars note that in pagan religious rituals, the blood of animals were drained, they were poured into a deep trench so as to draw the spirits as it were, and that would help them, those spirits would help in fortune-telling, following, following which the meat of the sacrifice was eaten. And when we look not only in this passage, but throughout the Word of God, we see that the people of God are expressly forbidden from engaging in occult practices, from practicing any kind of divination, any kind of fortune-telling. As such, note it's the B part of verse 26, you shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. Again, verse 31, the Lord commanded Israel, and by extension, you and me, he says there in verse 31, do not turn to mediums or necromancers, do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. With respect to this matter of delving into the future, 
contrary to the will of God, things have not changed in our time. Because in our time, we still have people practicing fortune telling. It's not uncommon to walk even around these regions and you'll see the sign put up, tea leaf reading, tarot card reading, and so on and so forth. Today, some are in the practice of what is known as channeling. They attempt to consult with the dead through some intermediary for information. And that's the same thing that is spoken of here in verse 31, which speaks of mediums or necromancers. Necromancers were those who dealt with the dead in terms of seeking to find information of whatever kind. Many in our time are given to the such activities as tea leaf readings, consulting the daily horoscope. There are Christians who do that. There are some Christians who they have to get a copy of the paper to look at their horoscope before they can proceed. They want to know what the stars hold for them in terms of their fortune or a luck. And all such practices, we need to understand, are forbidden in the Word of God. In fact, God has very strong words, very strong language, With respect to those who engage in such practices, the Bible will say, for example, that all who practice such things are an abomination to the Lord. Now, someone will then ask this question, well, what's wrong with such practices? What's wrong, for example, with a little innocent visit to um, the store and uh, somebody pulls out the tarot cards and tell us about what's going to happen with regard to next year, whether we're going to get that house We've been looking at, and so on and so forth. All forms, and we need to say this, all forms of participation in the occult, and I'm saying this dogmatically, reveal a lack of trust in God and God alone, the God who oversees our lives, the God who is able to order and bring about what is best for our lives and for his glory. When a person decides that they're going to seek out some fortune teller, when a person decides they're going to consult the horoscope, that betrays a lack of trust in God's providence, in a lack of God's care. Such practices ultimately betray a spirit of rebellion against the all-knowing God whose right it is to conceal or reveal the future. The Word of God teaches that God is the sovereign Lord who knows and controls the future. Here's what Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says concerning God and the future. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord. In other words, those things that are not revealed to us, those things that are not in his word, those things relate to the, that relate to the unknown future, we would say fall under the category of God's right, God's prerogative. And when we try to delve into the future, apart from any revelation that God has given us concerning the future in his word, then that is a mark of rebellion against God. Isaiah 46 verse 9, For I am God, 
and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Here's what God says concerning himself, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. So that to attempt to delve into the future by way of soothsaying, by way of fortune-telling, is, we would say, an affront to God's sovereignty over our lives. And so notice right after the prohibition against seeking after mediums, seeking after necromancers, comes this statement from the Lord in verse 31. God says there, after he gives that prohibition, he says this, I am the Lord. It's as though God is saying, look, I am the sovereign one. I have your future. I have your destiny under my control. The future is with me. Rest and trust in my providence. I am the Lord. And the truth is, we also need to realize that the occult, when we begin to talk about horoscopes, tea leaf reading, all such things, we would say, belong to the world of the satanic. Behind the occult is a spiritual world of demonic forces that seek to deceive, mislead, and hold people captive to the devil. And as made clear in verse 31, one becomes unclean by these things. God says it's an abomination to him, and it's not only an abomination to him, but it makes the person who delves in such practices unclean in his sight. Why unclean? Unclean because, you see, death is associated with that which is contaminating and defiling him, as we said this morning. And we know scripture is clear that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. That's what our Lord Jesus says. So when people consult, when they go through what they, what they call um, do channeling, go through channelers, when they consult necromancers, they're really engaging in the world of the satanic. They are venturing into the realm of the dead, thereby making themselves unclean and abominable in the sight of God. And that God is implacably averse to the occult is found in various passages of Scripture. Exodus chapter 22, verse 18. Here's what God warned his people. He says this, You shall not permit a sorceress to live. They were to be put to death. That was why when Saul went to the witch at Endor, she was very careful and she was very frightened when she discovered that it was Saul. Why? Because Saul had ordered for the execution of all the sorcerers. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27, A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Listen further in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which are about to dispossess. Listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, here it comes. The Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. He has not allowed you to do this. Why? Why? Because his prerogative, his right, 
is to conceal and reveal the future as he sees fit. In verses 15 through 22, God, that same chapter that we've just quoted, Deuteronomy 18, uh, assured the people of Israel as to how he would reveal himself to them, letting them know all they needed to know. He said this, Deuteronomy 18, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from you. It is to him you shall listen. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him, and whosoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And God is going to want to say, stone him. So God was very serious about this matter of revelation. One was not to speak unless God first spoke. One was not to speak of that which was not revealed by God. Today, people will put more confidence in the horoscope. They'll put more confidence in tea leaf reading than they'll put confidence in the revealed word of God. Again, to show God's seriousness with regards to this practice of the occult, notice, after God refused to communicate with Saul, because of his many sins against the Lord, his rebellion against the Lord, you'll recall how he turned to medium. He, re- he turned to the witch of Endor to consult the dead. And interestingly, the Bible declares that part of the reason why Saul was met with his death, he was being severely judged by God. Listen to First Chronicles 10, 13 and 14. Here's how the chronicler summarizes the end of Saul's career. He, he says this, So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith of the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David and the son of Jesse. We could go on and on with this matter of God's aversion to the occult. Suffice it to say, fast forward, by the time we get to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20, sorcery is cited as one of the many sins that will shut people out of the kingdom of God. Paul says, There I warn you as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 19, verses 18 and 19, we learn that witchcraft is a sin that must be repented of. It must be forsaken. Now, somebody will say, why in the world is Patrick speaking at length on a subject like this? And I'll tell you why. Because in some churches, there are people who are members of churches, and you'd be surprised to know that they are dabbling in their cult. People are part of secret societies, people are part of lodges, and they engage in all kinds of weird practices, all kinds of secret codes, all kinds of secret behavior. And what we need to realize is that those things are not of God. There are people in some places, you'll see them. They are leaders in churches. They wear these special rings 
that are associated with these lodges, with these organizations, these secret societies, and what we need to understand is that these things belong to the realm of the occult. These things are an abomination to the Lord. Our faith and trust must be in God. So here's what we see in Acts 19 18. We learn that the occult is a sin which must be repented of and forsaken. Engagement in the occult is a sin which must be repented of and forsaken. Now, you'll notice Luke records that as a feature of their genuine repentance and as a testimony to the transforming power of the gospel. When the people at Ephesus heard the word of God, here's what Luke records in Acts 19, 18, and 19. Many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, at the time I did this, at the time I checked this, by today's reckoning, that would be a value of roughly $375,000, which tells you that sorcerer was a big deal. It was a big thing. It was big business in Paul's day. In the last book of the Bible, sorcerers are cited. That is to say, people who dabble in the occult in whatever form. The book, last book of the Bible cites such people as being among those who will have their portion in the lake of fire. Revelation 21 and verse 8. Now verses 27 and 28, verses 27 and 28 cite a second pagan practice that Israel was commanded to shun. As they sought to reflect the holiness of God in their lives, they were to shun not only engagement in the occult, but they were to shun those funerary or mourning rites of the pagans for the dead. First of all, verse 27, You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. Now right off the bat, let me say this, that this doesn't apply to us today because this was relating to something else. Nevertheless, there's a principle that we are going to derive from these instructions. It was customary for the men of Israel to wear a beard, but the command here, notice, is not against the cutting of the beard as such. It is not so much a cutting of the beard as what the cutting of one's beard represented in this context. The shaving of one's hair, we know, and the shaving of one's beard, we know, was associated with mourning. As we see in Job chapter 1, verse 20, Job shaved his hair. We see that in Isaiah 22, verse 12, mourning the dead, then is nowhere condemned in the word of God. Nowhere do we find a prohibition against mourning. But what is prohibited, and what is certainly prohibited here, in Leviticus 19, 27, was a disfigurement of the hair a disfigurement in honor of the dead, to preserve the memory of the dead, to pay homage to the dead. And the point is this, that while mourning is a common human experience, the Bible teaches that the Christian's manner and custom of mourning must not pattern the ways of the world. You remember the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Paul did not say, he's writing that you do not sorrow. He says, I want brethren not to sorrow, but he goes on, as those who have no hope. 
The Christian is to be different even with respect to mourning. We are not to act like the pagans, for example, screaming and hollering and just getting frantic because of the loss of a loved one. That is not good. Verse 28 addresses a related mourning practice, which Israel was to also shun. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves, I am the Lord. And let me just say a quick word here. Many people go to a passage like this and they say, well, tattoo is wrong. Well, let me say this. If tattoo is wrong, that's not the passage to go to. Because that passage is not talking about imprints on the body that we have today. Much of what we have today are really people trying to be artistic. It's not their, say, celebrating or honoring, paying homage to the dead. Um, Let me just say quickly, however, that if one is going to do that, if one is going to tattoo, I would say do not do it unadvisedly. Get into the Word of God and see what principles there are that will allow you. Not everything that is culturally practiced is right for the Christian to do. Certainly, tattoo, the thing about we can say about tattoo, we cannot say definitively and dogmatically that it's wrong. Nevertheless, there are certain principles we can go to, to the Word of God to ask ourselves the question, is it wise, is it a wise thing for us to do? For example, what message am I sending in terms of my Christian testimony? Am I making myself distinct from the ways of the world? Will this thing be an offense to other believers? Can I give God thanks for these things? And if we can answer truthfully to these things without any qualms of conscience, then all power to you, right? But it seems to be that it cannot be a case where people say, well, it's the fashion, therefore I'll do it. And once again, we cannot go to this passage to establish a doctrine against tattoo. What's the essential principle of this command or these two commands we have looked at this evening as we close and we're not not having time to finish, but I'll just wrap up at this point to say this. What's the overarching principle of those commands we have looked at this evening? The Christian is to be different in every respect. The Christian is to be different with respect even to such matters as mourning. How do we mourn? How do we grieve? We are to maintain our testimony for the Lord. We are to grieve, yes. We are to sorrow, yes, but not as others who have no hope. The Christian is to be separate and distinct from the world in terms of behavior. The the Christian's faith is to be in God and God alone, not in fortune-telling Our lives are not built on faith. It's not built on luck or chance. It is based on God's presence and providence over our lives. And if we are resting in that, the only thing we need for guidance and for direction as to what we ought to do is his word. That first bit of instruction against getting involved in the occult centers on this big issue. To what do we turn for our source of revelation? Our source of revelation derives from God who has spoken and who has left us a record of his word. May God bless these truths to our hearts for his name's sake.